And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, Wednesday evening, struggled through the prayer meeting at Telequal campus. And when I say struggled through it, I didn't have a lot of voice. And you can see I've still been struggling. I don't have a lot yet. But uh, had a group gather around and pray for me as we headed down to Guthrie. And my wife was willing to drive me all the way when I sat in the passenger seat and whined and complained all the way out there. And when Thanksgiving morning come, it was worse than just struggling with my voice. I felt like Donna had whooped me through the night with a pot or a pan or something. And uh, I made my way out to the Lazy Arena on Thursday morning. And I don't know how I looked when I got done preaching the first message out there, but I know how I felt, and I can imagine how I looked. Has anybody ever watched Tombstone? Old Doc. You know, it could be cool outside, and old Doc Holliday would be sweating. Wouldn't he? And it could be cool out there and he'd have sweat dripping off of him. And he'd be trying to talk and then he'd go. <laughs> so everybody was real nice and cool at Guthrie. And when I got done speaking, I was wringing wet with sweat. And I caught myself often pulling the mic back going, I don't know how I looked, but I felt like Doc Holliday. And usually I sit and watch all of the roping, but let me tell you how it went Thursday. I preached, I immediately went and got in the car, I immediately went back to our vacation rental by owner, I immediately walked in that door, I immediately walked in there, sat down in the leather chair, and I'd sit there. And my wife would come in there with about 97 different kinds of medicines, telling me, you can take this now, but not till you've done this and not done that. And then I'd get up, and I'd go back to the lazy. I would speak. I would come out. I'd sit back in that chair and listen to my wife and let her poke something else in me. But the toughest one was the 6 o'clock. I done spoke three times. And I could hardly get myself out of that chair to make myself go to the last, the last time to speak. And I was just begging the Lord, help me get through this one and surely a night's rest. And surely after today's big day, I'll be all right the rest of the week. About that time, my phone rang on the way to that last one. I looked down there and I don't have his name programmed in my phone, but I know his number well. It was 2851954. And I didn't feel like talking to anybody. And I sure didn't feel like talking to him. As Marty Brock's number. Because as bad as I felt, I knew he was going to be all chipper and try to make me feel better. And so I figured I better answer because he filled in for me this morning at 8 o'clock so I could be back here. So I answered and he said, how's it going out there? And I said, 
Oh, it's going good. He said, you don't sound very good. And I said, no, I don't feel very good. I said, I'll tell you how I feel. I feel like that old rooster. He said, what rooster's that? I said, you know, that rooster, when the storm come through and wiped out the chicken house, and the farmer went out there just before the sun rose, and he was just looking at his chicken house scattered everywhere, and his hens scattered everywhere, and the feathers scattered everywhere, nothing left. And then all of a sudden he caught a glimpse of a board moving over there, and he looked over at that board, and he watched that board as it kind of flipped over, and he watched his old rooster crawl out from under that board. And his rooster only had two feathers left on his whole body. And his rooster had been beat up and scraped up and banged up from the storm. But it was just about sun up. And the farmer watched that old rooster crawl out of there with his two feathers beat up and banged up. And he watched that rooster begin to cry, crawl and, and stammer and get to the highest place he could crawl. And he just sat there, but the minute the sun come up, he dug deep and he began to crow. And I said, that's how I feel. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, I feel like I've got two feathers left. I feel like I've been run over. I feel like I've been in a storm. But I'm headed out there and I'm going to do my best to crawl up there in that announcer stand and crow the gospel because that's what I do. Just like the rooster crows when the sun comes up. He kind of chuckled and he said, I'll be praying for you. And when I left there, I overheard somebody say, well, I don't know if Rob's going to make it through the whole rest of the weekend. And I heard Rick Neal say this, oh, Rob will make it. He's tough. And I just kind of chuckled under my two feathers scraped up and beat up body. I just kind of chuckled and I said, Oh, Rick Neal thinks I'm tough. If he had dialed 918-316-7140, that'd be the wife's number. She'd sure tell him a lot differently. No, he's not. He's the farthest thing from tough. He's a big old sissy. Now, look here. Then the next day, feeling really about the same, my wife informs me that Miss Ashley's coming out and she wants to go watch the open roping. That's at 2 o'clock. I said to self, Ashley's daddy used to rope on some of the biggest stages. And Ashley never give two flips about roping. And Ashley's daddy's not a good spectator, but she wants to drive out here when he feels like a two-feathered rooster that's been beat up and banged up, and she wants me to go sit and watch with her the open roping at Guthrie. And so guess what? What we do for our little kids, I just dug deep. And they said, now, are you going? And I said, yeah, I'm going. So at 2 o'clock on Friday, feeling like the old rooster that had been through the storm, I sat down beside my wife and my daughter, and I'm watching the open roping. And I began to look at the playing field, the Lazy Arena, built in 1985, I believe. That's the first time I got to rope there. And I began to think of all those banners that hung up above the ceiling, all the timed event. That's what the Lazy is known most for, the timed event championship. All those banners of the champions of the timed event. And I began to 
look at those names on those banners beginning in 1985 and one that had 2021. And I simply looked at my wife, I looked at my daughter, and I said, the playing field's not changed, but the players have. Now, what I meant by that was it doesn't matter if it's a roping arena, it don't matter if it's a football field, don't matter if it's a basketball court. The field stays the same. But the players is something that will always change. And I began to look at those banners. I mean, began to watch the ropers go through. And I began to ponder, who's the toughest? Who's the toughest? Was it a 1985, 86, 92? Or is it somebody that's going to rope here tonight? Who's the toughest? And let me tell you something. That's very arguable. Who's the toughest? And it don't matter really what sports. Everybody with me? Who's the toughest at a particular sport? Who's the toughest to dig deep and do what they have to do? And, and you know, somebody said, Rob's tough. He's going to make it. I, I, I remember Harold hauling me to a revival one night when I was curled up like a baby in the back of a Dodge Durango. He drove me two hours. He pulled me in, and I got out, and I went and preached, and I walked right back out, curled up like a baby, and he drove me back. You know, we sometimes think that's tough. Sometimes I think it's stupid. But something dawned on me when I was sitting there pondering, who's the toughest? What is tough? You with me? God showed me the toughest verse in the Bible. Have you ever considered what is the toughest verse in the Bible? Have you ever considered that? I wonder if I could go around the room this morning and say, what's the toughest verse in the Bible? See, your mind, it's rolling through there right now. You're trying to think, what is the toughest verse in the Bible? What is it? Dying yourself daily, pretty tough task. I'm convinced God gave me the toughest verse in the Bible. And if you want to be considered tough, lift this one out. Because them other things, you might be considered tough, you might be considered a great roper, a great ball player. But live this one out, and I'll tell you what you are. You're tough. You ready for the toughest verse in the Bible? Ephesians 5, verse 20. You ready for it? Be thankful always. (laughs) Be thankful always. Pretty tough task. Watch what he does. You don't think that can get no tougher? Watch what he does with that verse. Be thankful always as if that wasn't tough enough. And in all things. What seemed real tough just got tougher. You're to be thankful always. Come on, Lord. That's tough enough. Yeah, and by the way, in all things, it just got tougher. Who are you to be thankful to? God. Who are you to be thankful through? The Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. So I want to preach to you today the toughest verse in the Bible. And if you want to be considered tough, you'll have to live this one out. So when I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about this. 
We think about all the things that Thanksgiving has become in America. But this verse, number one, let me just tell you, it, rem it reminded me what Thanksgiving is not. Give thanks to God. Thanksgiving is not silent. And let me just tell you, if you want to be a tough, you cannot be silent in your Thanksgiving. You need to be verbal. You need to thank the people that are around you that's helped you be who and what you are. Now, this last week, and, and I'm careful to say this because somebody thinks they should have been there, should have been that, but the church staff, you know what I do? And I do this every year. I do it off my, my pocketbook, not the churches. I take the church staff and Believer's Arena staff, I take them and feed them a meal. I wish I could take everybody here because this whole church does that. But I do that on my, my pocketbook. Because here's what I realize, and I think most of you within the sound of my voice realize this too. This church is what it is, not because of the pastor. This church is what it is because we have an outstanding staff. Listen, the preacher just preaches. He don't know what's going on. The staff keeps things going. And you be, should be thankful. And so Monday night, I, I just showed that appreciation to them. And I want to be verbal because I realize what makes me a, a success as a pastor is the staff and the people that's around me. They asked Lou Holtz one time about his success as a college football coach. And he said, Joseph died leaning on his staff and I'm going to do the same as a coach. Meaning he leaned on his staff. He put great people around him. And he told them he appreciated them often. But on Tuesday night, listen, there's a cow working crew. They're, they're like the church crew. This church keeps on keeping on for the glory of God. 5P Farms has been successful in the last few years in a seed stock producer. And let me tell you something. It couldn't do it without, I can't do what I do with my cows if it's not for the guys that show up when it's cold and miserable to help me wean, to help me vaccinate, to help me when I'm gone to take care of stuff. And so on Tuesday night, I gathered all them up and we went to a steakhouse in Steelwell, Oklahoma and I bought them a steak. Haven Medjid had it on Facebook this week. He said, I just want to thank everybody that's around me. He's very successful. He won the world championship his rookie year. And he said, I just want to thank God for the people around me that's made me successful. Listen to me. Thanksgiving's not silent, and I hope and pray you are verbal in giving thanks. I've thanked Donna more this week, and I've thanked her in her whole marriage. Because she drove me to Guthrie. She drove me to the arena. She drove me home. I, I, I sit over and whined like a baby. And I thought if Rick Neal could see me now. But listen. The verse tells us the one that we should be most thankful to. Is God. Because you know who put them people in our paths? He did. You know who lets us move and live and have our being? He does. And thanksgiving's not silent. You ought to verbally thank God every day for the life that you have and the people that He's placed around you. You got that thanksgiving's not silent. This is not the sermon, folks. It'd make a good one. But thanksgiving's also not seasonal. Give thanks. That tells me it's not silent. Always. That tells me it's not seasonal. When I say it's not seasonal, listen. Only in America do we say, oh, I'll tell you what, we ought to set a, a Thursday aside in November to just to give thanks. Well, the Bible says we're to be thankful always. You know when that is? 
That's every day of the year. Every hour of the day, right? But only in America do we make it seasonal. I got tickled. I said, somebody sent me a deal and it said, only in America do we set a, guy, a day aside to be thankful on Thursday and then on Friday we'll fight each other for a $10 crock pot. Come on. How can we be so thankful on Thursday and so thankless on Black Friday? Folks, listen to me. It's a tough verse. Because it says it ain't seasonal. It's every day. <coughs> but then it says Thanksgiving is not only not silent, it's not seasonal. But here's the one that really gets you. It's not situational. Thankful to God always... That's every day in all things. In other words, no matter what the situation is, I'm going to give thanks. I just come from a roping, big roping. You know how easy it is to be thankful when you win? You know how hard it is to be thankful when you lose? Come on, folks. When things are going good, how easy is it for us to be thankful? But when things are not going our way and we're struggling, how easy is it? It's not easy. It's the toughest verse in the Bible to realize what Thanksgiving is not, isn't it? It's not silent. It's not seasonal. And it's not situational. I mean, we need to get back and realize. I I read several Thanksgiving quotes this weekend. The average person breathes 23,000 breaths a day. Would some? I don't trust that. I need one of you to count your breaths one day and get back with me and let me know how many you breathe. I don't trust that stat. The average person, 23,000 breaths a day. And according to Ephesians 5.20, we should be thankful for every one of them breaths. But then why is it we're only thankful for the breath-taking moments? And we should be thankful for every breath. We are only thankful when our breath is taken away and oohed and awed by something. Then I read about one little boy that told his mom, he said, can we get Thanksgiving moved? She said, moved? Yes, I just think it would be better after Christmas instead of before Christmas. She said, why do you think Thanksgiving would be better after Christmas than before Christmas? Well, Mom... If we had Thanksgiving after Christmas, we'd have a whole lot more to be thankful for. (laughs) Folks, we may not admit it, but we're often like that little boy. But we're to be thankful always and in all things. I think we need to take on the attitude of Helen Keller when she said, I have so much to be thankful for, I don't have time to ponder on the things I don't have. We're to be thankful always and in all things. I believe it's the toughest verse in the Bible. And I've seen how miserably I failed at it these past three days. But aren't you glad when we fail, God's gentle to point it out and give us a second chance. And a fresh start. So, I want you to listen to me. Where are you at? Which category are you in when it comes to your thankfulness 
and your gratefulness. I'm going to name you four. You'll be in one of them at least and probably will find yourself in all of them at times. But the last one is the one I want us to land in and stay in. And when we die, we'll be considered not by mankind but by God tough because we carried out the commandment of the toughest verse in the Bible. You ready? When it comes to your thankfulness and gratefulness, there's the category of complaining. I said the category of complaining. Oh, you know who you are. It's been said of you, you would complain if you was hung with a brand new rope. I mean, there's just those certain people that no matter how it's going, they're complaining. So they're far from Ephesians 5.20. They can't be thankful in anything, much less all things. They're just that bunch that complains. And the Bible talks about the danger of ingratitude. And we've got these complainers, and, 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 and that's, that's a category that I don't want to fall in, but I've been there. And let me tell you, when it broke my heart, I realized it Friday morning. I didn't feel no better when I got up Friday morning. I was just convinced, because I'm a positive guy, surely with all the prayer texts that I was getting, surely with the 70 different kinds of medicine my wife is poking and prodding and telling me to swallow surely when I get up in the morning, I'm going to feel better, but I didn't. And I was walking out of that VRBO, headed to the Lazy E, and I turned around and told my wife, now listen to me, I said, man, I sure wish I had a job I could call in sick to. See, if you've never been self-employed, if you've never been in a spot where it's hard at the last minute to fill your spot, that don't make sense to you. See, I didn't feel like going out there. And I was complaining, Calvin. When I was headed out, I said, I sure wish I had a job that I could call in sick to. But see, when I was a truck driver, you couldn't call in sick. They had to have the coal. You had to go. So you just took the medicine, you just dug deep, you just went. See, when you're a cow guy, it really don't matter how you feel. they still got to be fed. They've still got to be taken care of. And see, often when you're the guy that's speaking and, and, and there just ain't nobody there that fits the program close, you just can't call in sick. So guess what you got to do? You just got to get up and you just got to go anyway. And God forgive me and I had to ask him to. Because when I walked out of that house, I said to my wife, I wish I had a job I could call in sick to. And when I got in that vehicle and I headed to the lazy, the Holy Spirit of God said, Son, I've called you to this. And you'd have to step down to take the job of the United States President. See, God's called me to a job that I would have to step down to become the President of the United States. He's called me to a job of preaching the Word of God. And with it comes great responsibility. And with it comes preach when you feel like it and preach when you don't feel like it. And you know I had to drive to Guthrie saying, God, I'm so sorry. Your Word says do all things without complaining and disputing. And see what happens when we complain. We lose our reward of doing the greatest thing we can do. And that's to be a tool in the hand 
of Almighty God. See, I don't want to be a complainer. There was an old couple that had retired, and they was traveling around, and the two ladies of the families met in the lobby of the hotel for that free breakfast. And one of them kind of come a real, little down and out, and the other one looked at her and said, you wake up grumpy this morning, sis? She said, no, I let him sleep. So look here. I asked my wife when she was taking care of me this week, weekend. I said, "Hun, are you going to take care of me when I get old and grumpy? You know what she said? She said, I am, ain't I? Now I want you all to look up here and I want you all to listen to me. Father, time's undefeated. I'll tell you what you don't have a choice in. Old. Father time is undefeated. Let me tell you what Father time's going to do. He's going to stay undefeated. Some of you, some of us, we've taken him a little farther in the game. But let me tell you, I don't care how far you take him. He's going to win. You got that? You're going to get old. You don't have a choice. Is everybody staying with me this morning? But you don't have to become grumpy. You don't have a choice in becoming old. But you have a choice in becoming grumpy. And I don't want to be grumpy. I don't want to be a complainer. And God tells us not to be. And all God's people ought to be saying, Amen and Amen. I don't want to be in the category of complaining when it comes to thankful and gratefulness. But then secondly, I don't want to be in the category of complacent. I believe there's the category of complacency when it comes to our thankfulness and gratefulness. Now, when I say complacent, I'm just talking about whatever. I'm just going to get up, just go through the day. Whatever happens, it happens. I'm just complacent when it comes to being thankful and grateful. And there's a lot of people that fall under that category. And one of them is the farmer I read about. He was a CEO of the church. He was a farmer, but he was also a CEO. And you know what I'm talking about when I say that. He was a Christmas, that's the C. He was an Easter, that's the E. And he was a O, that was the only two services he made it to all year. He was a CEO of the church. And this particular Christmas, he was at church. And this particular Sunday, the preacher preached out of Isaiah where it says, where it says, listen to this. The ox knows its owner. And the donkey, its master's crib. It's what the preacher preached that Christmas morning. And the farmer sat there and listened to it. But then the farmer went back home. And he went into his barn to do his chores. And he was feeding one of the cows there. And the cow just took a step toward him and started licking on him and rubbing on him. And the farmer thought back to the church service, Dave. Thought back to the verses he used. The ox knows its owner. The donkey its master's crib. And the farmer says it was as if the cow was giving me thanks. And it was there that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And that farmer said, I begin to weep and I begin to cry right there in the middle of that barn. 
and saying, God, the cow's thankful for me, its master. And all I've ever done for the cow is simply feed and water it. And God, you've done so much for you. And I've never acknowledged you and thanked you for all you've done for me. Folks, sometimes we're dumber than an ox when it comes to being grateful and thankful. The cows and the horses are thankful for us for showing up and feeding them. And that's all we've ever done for them. But God and all he's done for us. And we're complacent in our thankfulness and our gratefulness. Are you in the category of complaining? Are you in the category of complacency? But when it comes to being grateful and thankful, would you fall in the category of being casual? Now, before I take off in casual, (coughs) let me explain what I think it means to be casual in our thankfulness and gratefulness. And I would say most of us here will fall in this category, or at least I hope you fall in it more than you do the first two. And I'm talking about when you woke up this morning, you had breakfast, but before you ever took a bite, you was grateful for it. You thank God for it. And already in Sunday school or church service, you've just thanked God for, for being able to be here. And you've saw somebody that's meant something to you in your life and meant something to bringing you to Christ. And under your breath, you just kind of thank God for this person or that person or your church family. You with me? And, and being casual in your gratefulness and thankfulness, you're going to leave here if I ever get this message preached and you're going to sit down to lunch and you wouldn't even think about partaking of that lunch until you thank God for it. Thank God for the people that sitting around with it eating, eating it with you. And then tonight at dinner, you're going to do the same thing. But that's not just Sunday. You do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then along the week, after you thank Him for the meals, you get some kind of little blessing along the way. And guess what? You just casually, and that's okay, you just look to the heavens and say, Hey, thank God for that blessing you just poured out on me. There's nothing wrong with that. And I would say that's where most of us are. And that's just a good, sure enough, good average Christian. But I'm talking about being a tough. See, the toughs, they're not even in that casual category. They're not in the the complacent category. And they're not in the complaining category. I'm talking about if you want to live out Ephesians 5.20, you're more than casual in your thankfulness and gratefulness. Right? So what's that fourth category, preacher man? That fourth category is there's the constant, there's the consistent, there's the continual category of when it comes to our thanks and our gratefulness. See, I'm talking about the people that really live out Ephesians 5.20 in all things. Don't matter what's going on. Guess what they're doing? They're thanking God. Every day, it don't matter what it brings. What are they doing? They're continually, constantly, and consistently thanking God. That's the ones that's got this thing down. But that's a tough verse. Because let me tell you, it's a lot easier to say, to, it's a lot easier to say with our lips, be thankful always. Be thankful in all things. Isn't it so much easier to say that than to do that? But listen, we need to be thankful always in all things. Remember me talking about the auction last week in the sermon and 
me and Trey flew up, looked at some stuff, and then I went to the auction the next Friday to look at a floor tra- or a ground load and a semi and look at some, some other things. And do you remember what the weather was like last Friday? It was really cold. Hard to be thankful for a day like that out at an auction. Right? Really hard to be thankful when you, you didn't get what you went to buy because it's too high and, and, and you, you're just ready to get in your truck. You could warm up. You could thaw out. And, and then about the time you're leaving, your son calls and says, hey, you know that four-door truck, that one that had 80,000 miles on it? Yeah, if you're up there at that auction, if you don't care, just stand there and stay there and bid on that for me if it don't bring. Remember, I mean, hard to be thankful when it's cold and miserable, and then it's harder to be thankful when your son calls you and says, can you stay there a little longer to bid on that pickup for me? And then I stay there a little longer, and I get it bought for him. And now, I, yeah, can you, is there somebody up there you could drive home? And I, I, got, all my, I got all my Amish buddies that, that I don't know if they're supposed to or not. I'll have to get with you guys later. But I know some of them's got license, and they're all piled in that pickup with Earl. See, Earl's got an excuse to be in there. He really don't have an excuse to be in that pickup with that. He was driving around to every part of the auction when the rest of And I got in there, and I say, why are you driving? I said, the rest of us have toes to get cold. You don't even have toes. How could your toes get cold? See, I didn't think it's fair that he drove. But I thought it was fair when there was an empty seat and I got in there and warmed up. So I go over there to this pickup where they're all at, and, and I open and I think I told you guys this. I said, hey, any of you in here got license? I don't know who does or don't, and they're just kind of real quiet about that. I said, because I bought a truck for Trey, and he's wondering if I could get somebody to drive back. Well, they won't really say it when they're in there with everybody but pretty soon one guy hey i can drive that truck home so i got somebody and let me let me back up because i left this part out of the story where i'm going with this when i done my homework on this auction i got to back up and you got to get this to go with this story clay hartley owns spur ranch i was one of the original truck drivers for phoenix coal when they hired truck drivers i knew clay when they done away with contract and they got their own trucks, I'm one. Of, there was seven of us. I was one of the original. I knew him. So when it come to the Spur Ranch stuff, I knew I could talk to Clay and ask him about the equipment and the condition and all that. Well, I had no luck getting a hold of him, and he was a busy man. So I called Alan, who still worked for, for Phoenix Co., bought my old place, Alan Hartness. And I said, man, I'd like to do some checking on this truck. I'd like to do some checking on this trailer. And, and I can't get a hold of Clay. And he said, do you know Jake? I said, I don't know Jake. I know Jake from State Farm, but I don't know Jake from Spur Ranch. And so, uh, and I really don't know Jake from State Farm. I just know what he looks like. I would recognize him. And and so he said, boy, I'll tell you what. He just start, stops me. He said, Jake, tell you anything about it? He can tell you everything about anything up there. He's the He's the ranch manager. And he said, and I'll tell you something else, Robbie. He said, you'd love old Jake. He said, it doesn't matter if you pull in and it's 10 below zero and snowing and he's having to feed and take care of the bulls. He'll have a smile on his face. And, and, and it doesn't matter if you pull in there and it's a beautiful day. It'll be the same smile. He said, Jake doesn't change when everything else changes. And see, that's what I've always wanted to be. I've always wanted to be that calf roper when I rode out of the arena. If they put the camera on my face and the people never seen the run that I made, whether I won first or whether I didn't hit a hair on him, I've always desired to be that calf roper when they looked at my face. They could not tell what happened in the arena. 
In other words, I wanted to be that player that when I walked off the field or off the court, if nobody had seen the game, they could put the camera on my face and I would have a demeanor about me. They could not tell whether I won the game or lost the game. See, that's what I've always desired to be. I think that's what we ought to be. And when we are that, we're in Ephesians 5.20 people. We're thankful always, whether we win, whether we lose. We're thankful in all things, no matter how the game went. And that's always been my desire. And when, when Alan told me about Jake, I thought, Jake's what I want to be. Because it don't matter what it is. He's got a smile on his face. He don't change. It's okay. I don't know Jake. So I'm at this auction. The truck's bought. I'm just wanting to go home. Now Matt buys a hay baler. And he's going to pull it home with Trey's truck. And there's all these people at this sale. People's trying to get paid. People's trying to get out. And Matt's walking around with the hitch off this square baler saying, i got to have some kind of socket. Everybody had tried to offer him a crescent ranch. He said, a crescent ranch won't do it. I've got to take this pin out and put it on my receiver hitch or I can't pull this square baler. And so Matt comes up to me and Matt says, I've looked everywhere. He said, you know that Hartley guy. He said, somebody told me that I need to be looking for Jake. He said, do you know Jake? And I said, no, but look for a guy with a smile on his face. I'd never met Jake, but I'd been told about Jake from Alan Hartness. And so when Matt's saying, they told me to find Jake, you talk about a hectic day for Jake. He knows everything about everything. And everybody's trying to get their stuff off the Spur Ranch. How many times do you think Jake's name got? How overwhelming of a day do you think it was for Jake? Huh? I didn't know Jake, but when Matt said, do you know Jake? I said, no, I don't know him, but he'll have a smile on his face. Matt probably wanted to know how I knew that. I knew that from what Al told me. And it wasn't but just a minute, and here comes a side-by-side coming up the road. And when he was about 50 feet from me, all I could see was teeth. I said, hey, Matt, I think that's Jake. And so when he comes by, he's grinning from ear to ear. Matt hollers at him. He says, are you Jake? Yeah, I'm Jake. What do you need? He said, well, I bought this baler, and I need this taken up. Oh, yeah, that ain't no problem. Throw it in. Get in. It's cold. It's miserable. He's got people hollering to him from every direction. And he just grinned and smiled, got him a socket, took it off. He said, where's your receiver hitch? I mean, as overwhelming as his day was, he never quit smiling. And in just a minute, with a big old smile, he handed Matt back the receiver hitch with the pin put on it. Just took care of it. And I thought, man, how? He's got it down. I just watched old Jake, and I thought, I bet if he's a calf roper, I bet if you didn't see his run, and you watched him right out of the gate, I bet you couldn't tell whether he won or lost. I bet if old Jake was a ball player, no matter how bad the cane got, no matter how bad the refs called it, I bet old Jake, when he walked off the floor, I bet you couldn't tell if it was the best refs in the world or the worst, whether his team scored more points or less. You know what? I consider Jake a tough because he can be thankful always. 
and in all things. That's tough. Now here's where I really want to point something out. God commanded you and he commanded me to be thankful always and in all things. That's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. And when I began to ponder on how in the world would God command us to do something that's so tough. And then it dawned on me, if you're listening, say I am. God's never commanded any of us to do anything that he's not equipped us to do. I'm going to say that one more time. God's never commanded not one of us to do something that he's not equipped us to do. Now, chew on that. He just give us a real tough commandment. And when you're sitting there and you're saying, I can't, that's slapping him in the face because he's never commanded you to do one thing that he didn't equip you to do. So everybody got that? So now, I want you to think about Ephesians chapter 5 as a whole. I've told you I believe verse 20 is the toughest verse in the Bible. I'm not so sure Ephesians 5 isn't the toughest chapter in the Bible. Can I, can I, can I just kind of help you ponder on that and remind you what's in there? Men, turn me off a minute. You don't even have to listen to this. Women, are you ready? Don't you think Ephesians 5 is a pretty tough chapter? Because it tells you, women, to submit to your husbands as in submitting to the Lord. Men, keep your mouth shut. Ladies, God just commanded you to do something that's pretty tough. Let me tell you why it's pretty tough. Because you've got a sin nature. And you don't want to submit to your husband. You got that? But God didn't suggest you submit to your husband. He commanded you to submit to your husband. And guess what? The men have to be quiet right now, so they can't say nothing. So ain't you glad I told them to be quiet? So you can make up all these reasons why you shouldn't submit to your husband. He's out of tune and he's out of touch with God. There's no stipulations on what Ephesians 5 tells you as a lady. It doesn't say submit to your own husband as long as he's doing this, that, yada, yada. Does it? So would you agree? Not only has it got the toughest verse in the Bible, be thankful always and in all things, it's a pretty tough chapter because it tells us to submit to our own husbands. Pretty tough task. Ladies, can I get a... Okay, now you be quiet. Men, do you realize what else is in Ephesians chapter 5? Husbands, love your wives. I I told the men to be quiet. And now the ladies need to be quiet. That means you, Susie. Hush. I'm talking to the men. Okay? Men, the same Ephesians chapter 5, you know what it tells us? 
It says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And, and here's what I love about when I preach that at a men's meeting or something. Here, I, yeah, I'd die for my wife. I'd step in there and take a bullet before I let her get hit. And, and then I got tickled. There's some old boy over here. I'm not there yet. I want to put a bullet in my wife, not take one for I mean, so our men, we're kind of everywhere on it, aren't we? But isn't it something how men could justify? I mean, if it really come down, I'd take the bullet. Well, can I just let you in on something? Do you know what Christ done before he died for the church? He lived for the church. He was an example. So men, when Ephesians 5 tells us to be a sacrificial husband, it's a little deeper than dying for our wives. It's before you die for them, live for them. And let me tell you, that's hard, isn't it? You know why it's hard for a wife to be submissive to her husband? Because she's in the flesh. The flesh is contrary to that. You want me to tell you why it's hard to be a sacrificial husband and live for your wife? Because it's contrary to the flesh. Because your flesh is selfish. You want what you want, not what she wants. Come on. And so are you convinced with me that Ephesians 5 has got some pretty tough stuff in it for the ladies? Some pretty tough stuff in it for the men? And the toughest thing for all of us, be thankful always and in all things. And you look up here and you say, but preacher, what's that got to do with anything? What's got to do with everything? Because God didn't suggest you wives be submissive. He commanded it. And he's not going to command you something he doesn't equip you to do. He tells you, husbands, he commands you to love your wives and be a sacrificial husband. And he's not going to command you to do something he didn't equip you to do. And he commands us to be thankful always and in all things. And he's not going to command us to do something he didn't equip us to do. So you've got to know what else is tucked away in Ephesians 5.18. Are you ready for it? Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You want to be a submissive wife? It's tough. The only way to do it is be equipped with the Holy Spirit of God. Be a sacrificial husband? Tough job. One way to do it. Be equipped with the Holy Spirit of God. The toughest verse in the Bible? Be thankful always for all things. There's only one way to do it. Get under the spout where the glory comes out. You won't be able to carry out that verse unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know why I can tell you this? Because I miserably failed the last three days. Because in getting ready to speak and getting ready to do this, guess what? I was listening to the flesh. It was hurting. It was tired. And it was weary. And I couldn't be thankful. All I could do was complain. But when you realize that's what the flesh is doing to you, and you just dig down and say, Holy Spirit, the flesh right now is weak, and I need you to be strong, and I need to be thankful always, and I need to be thankful in all things. Aren't we thankful for the Holy Spirit that allows you and I 
to carry out some of the hardest commands that the Bible gives us. Amen. There was one of the demons that showed up to the devil's granary and was looking all the bins over and he noticed one of the bins of seed was full so much that it run over into the other bins of seed. And the demon said to the devil, I noticed this one bin is way more seed in it, way full, way more seeds than any other. The devil said, yes. Well, what kind of seed's that? The demon says, oh, that's the seed of discouragement. And see what I've learned about that seed, the devil said to the demon. If I can get that seed of discouragement to grow and sprout, it doesn't matter which grain bin I go in, it doesn't matter which seed. If I can get that one to sprout and grow, I can get any of them to sprout and grow. And the demon said, can you get it to sprout and grow about everywhere? And the devil turned around and he said, there's one place that I've never been able to get that seed of discouragement to sprout and grow. And that's in the heart and soil of gratitude. Folks, let me tell you, the devil wants to sow seeds and would like to nothing more than to sow seed of discontent. Huh? Into your heart and into your life. But if we'll carry out the toughest verse in the Bible, be thankful always and for all things, guess where that won't sprout? It won't sprout in our lives. And all God's people ought to be saying, Amen and Amen. Lord, help us to have the attitude of gratitude. Lord, help us to carry out the toughest verse in the Bible. Be thankful always. And for all things. We need to be like that little boy. They ask him to pray. When they ask him to pray over the dinner. Can you just imagine? He looked it all over. He bowed his head. And he said, Lord, I don't like the looks of it. but I just want to thank you and let you know I'm going to eat it anyway. It's a lot of days I get up. I don't like the looks of what I'm facing. But you know what the Bible tells me to do? Bow my head. You know what I can say to God? God, I don't like the looks of it today. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to thank you anyway. And I'm going to walk through it. Because you've asked me to. Let's all stand. Father, we love you. We praise you. And Father, so often we get a misconception of what being a tough is. We get a misconception of what being a great is. When we really look into your word and we really sense of your Holy Spirit, some of us that 
maybe is considered tough or considered great, fail miserably. You've clearly spelled out to us this the Sunday after Thanksgiving, what it means to be one of your greats, to what it means to be a tough in this world. And that is simply to be a person of gratitude and thankfulness, a person who can be thankful always and in all things, even when we don't like the looks of it. We should thank you and walk through it anyway. So, Father, I pray that Christians that's found themselves in the category of complaining, that today they do what we're supposed to do with sin, and that's exactly what it is. They'd use these altars for a place to kneel, repent, and ask you to forgive them. Altars are open, Christians. Father, I pray that Christians would hit these altars that found themselves in a place of complacency. Just flat being complacent on giving you thanks and praise. And Father, I pray that those that found themselves in the category of being casual in their thankfulness and gratefulness would hit these altars today and say, Lord, I've been doing some good things as far as being thankful and grateful, but I've miserably failed in other places because it says always and in all things. These altars are open and I don't know how anybody could not have to bow before God today and ask forgiveness. But as you bow and ask forgiveness, isn't it good to know in the same breath you can say, but I need your Holy Spirit. Because without your Holy Spirit, there's no way. And then if you're here today, you can thank God for a lot of things, but there's one thing you can't thank Him for, and that's salvation. Because you've never been saved. If that's you here today and you've never been saved, wouldn't you like to step out if the Holy Spirit's leading you? Wouldn't you let us show you from the Bible how to be saved? And then you can thank God for the greatest thing, and that's your salvation. Father, I pray you'd save souls and change lives in this your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us.